0: good boys and girls two-footed podcast on thursday the 18th of august brought to you by eplindex.com and while i'm talking about eplindex.com allow me to remind you that there are two other podcasts that we produce one is the epl roundtable hosted by kevin devries generally out sunday night monday morning discussing that weekend's premier league games and there is a tad predictable hosted by and you can hear that podcast generally Wednesday, Thursday of each week, previewing and predicting the weekend ahead. Today's podcast is on this feed. Kevin's podcast is on its own feed. If you search EPL Roundtable, you will find that there. Do check both of them out. We're brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change location, access things you're normally geo-blocked from. So UK expats wanting BBC player to watch match of the day, a Liberty Shield VPN can get you around that block and keep your data safe. And if you go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, you get 25% off at checkout. A hardware package, which is a router shipped worldwide that you plug into... Your normal router and connect devices that you want to change the IP address for to the new Liberty Shield router. Leave your other stuff connected to your normal router to retain your normal IP. You can also get a softer package, which is instantly downloadable to your devices. Also works on things like Amazon Firestick. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. Hope you're all well on this Thursday everybody except John Percy of the Telegraph, who has written a piece profiling Matthias Nunez, the new midfielder of Wolves, a player I think is absolutely outstanding. And in that piece, he makes mention of the fact that Liverpool are not big admirers, huge admirers, huge admirers. He was sitting there ready to be signed but no, our midfield options are fine. We have James Milner and Jordan Henderson, and neither of them can play in the Premier League anymore because they're not very good. But we've got them. We've got Alex Oxley chamberlain who we don't even think is good enough, but we don't need any new midfielders. John Percy, why, oh why, have you set out to hurt me on this Thursday? I was in really good form. Really good form. And then I saw that. And now I'm in bad form. So John Percy... You're not getting mentioned again today. Today is questions day, so we're going to do some questions. Let's have a look and see what we have. Uh, we'll check the Discord first and foremost. I do understand that I have not yet done the tier list that was uh, requested for players from different positions. I will get to that, I promise. I'll do it next week. I just didn't have, just didn't have the headspace to do it this week because that's a... It, that's an important thing. Tier lists are important. Um, let's see now. Arman, what do you think of Virgil van Dyke's form? I think he's been very good, but I wouldn't say that he's reached his 2018-2020 form since returning from injury. Would you agree with that? And if you do agree, then do you think he will ever recover to that level again? I think that when you tear your ACL, you lose two years. You lose one year where you're out injured and you lose another year trying to work your way back to your prior level. Has Virgil been as good? No. But there's a big factor in this, which is that Liverpool's midfield isn't as good. Ginny Wijnaldum is a massive loss to this Liverpool midfield from a defensive point of view. So Liverpool's defence have been far more open. We know Henderson is awful defensively and largely doesn't do his defensive work. Thiago's good defensively. Fabinho's very good defensively, but the two of them can't do the work of three. Fabinho and Ginny could do the work of three because Ginny was such a great athlete. Now, I'm not getting into this again because Guy's going to be sick of listening to me. I've just talked about it on the Daily Red today, so go and listen to that if you want to hear more on my thoughts on Ginny and how much we miss him. Let me just say, we'd have won the league in the Champions League last year with Jenny Wynaldum in the team over Henderson, 100%. Um, but I think that the defense, the midfield becoming weaker defensively has definitely had a knock-on effect on Virgil. I also think Liverpool are playing more of a risky game with the high line, which is also a factor. I thought by the end of last season, he was really starting to play at an like a truly elite, elite level. Like, the minute he came back, he was the best defender in the league. From the opening day of last season, he was the best defender in the league. He was the best defender in the world again by about November. And he started to look more like himself around February and really just set himself out from the crowd. Um, Do I think he'll get back there? I think he will. I think he will. Uh He had a shaky game against Fulham. That's absolutely fair, but the midfield was catastrophically poor. Uh, he had, I thought, a pretty good game against Palace, but I have seen him criticised for the goal by people that don't understand how physics work, and that if you're sprinting in, in full speed and your aim is to make a tackle or anything like that, you do have to decelerate in order to do that. Had Virgil continued to sprint At the level he was sprinting, he would have ended up in the stand and Zaha would have scored. Had he decelerated any later, Zaha would have cut back inside him and either drawn a penalty or gotten a much better angle for his shot. Uh, Virgil was not in any way to blame for that goal. I'm not worried about his form. I think he's great and I think he's going to be, again, clearly the best defender in the league this season. Um AMK2889 in 2002 Michael Ballack could have won a treble and World Cup obviously missed the World Cup final due to suspension as well as in 2008 he could have won another treble and European Cup but obviously came up short on both occasions losing out on both league titles on the final day had he won both trebles and competitions for Germany, you would imagine he could have had a good chance at winning the Ballon d'Or in 2002 and 2008. Um, would you say this is the luckiest, the unluckiest an individual player has ever been in his career as far as winning multiple trophies and personal awards? Also, what are the players who have already had the world-class or legendary status attached to the name? but could have had a more incredible... So that's too, I'll come back to that second part in a minute. Right, Michael Ballack. So, this is the 0 one 2 Bayer Leverkusen season, where they have a really, really strong team. Ballack, Neuville, Kirsten, Berbatov is there, Bern Schneider is there. They've got Lucio in defence. This is a really Hansi jorg button goal. This is a really good team. And they end up, I think they came second in the Bundesliga, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just gather that up. They came second in the Bundesliga by one point to Borussia Dortmund, managed that season by Matthias Zammer, if I'm not mistaken. And they lost a couple of games late in the season that they should have won. They lost. 2 1 at home to Werder Bremen. Werder finished sixth that year. Then they lost 1 0 to Nuremberg, uh, who finished 15th. They also drew to Ham- drew at Hamburg 1 1, and Hamburg finished 11th. Uh, a win in either, i oh, sorry, any of those three games, or even a draw in either the Lever- the Verder game or the Nuremberg game, and they would have won the league title. Um, so that was obviously hugely unfortunate. They lost the final of the Dutch Cup to a Schalke team that they were also significantly better to. They lost that game 4-2. They'd gone 1-0 up, and then all of a sudden the wheels came off and they were 4-1 down. Scored late to uh, give themselves a little bit of a consolidation. But nothing more. Uh, They should have won the double that year. They should have won the league and the German Cup. In the Champions League, they topped a group with Deportivo La Coruña, Arsenal and Juventus. So quite a strong group. Then they knocked out Liverpool. Lost 1-0 at Anfield. And then won 4-2 in their home leg. Balak got two, including a worldie. Burbatov and Lucio scored. Abel Xavier and Yari Litman scored for scored for uh, Liverpool. And this is the season where famously Liverpool's manager Jared Hoolier came out and said Liverpool were like ten great ten games from greatness. And they end up getting beaten by Leverkusen and then finishing second in the league behind Arsenal. Uh, They beat Manchester United over two legs in the semi-final. 2-2 draw at Old Trafford. 1-1 draw at the Bay Arena. And then they played Real Madrid. Now it's often forgotten that this game ended 2-1 and not 1-0. Because many people only remember this game for one thing. So Raul scores on 9, Lucio equalises on 14. What people remember is the Zinedine Zidane goal. Right on the stroke of time. It's a lovely move down Real's left. Santiago Solari clips the ball over the top. Roberto Carlos runs onto it. Lost the ball into the box. Zidane, who's playing as a 10, drifts into the area, checks, finds the space, and just waits on the ball. And it's absolutely incredible technical execution on his left foot to bury the ball in the top corner. It's maybe the best goal ever scored in a Champions League final. It certainly is, in my view. But that was it. That was the last goal of the game. I thought that Leverkusen were probably the better team on the day. Uh, They had more of the ball. They had more shots. Real fouled a lot in the game. 31 fouls, only two yellow cards given. Um, But it wasn't to be that Real Madrid defence with Hierro and Helguera held out. Makaleli patrolling in front of them. And uh, they took home the European Cup. And Balak, unfortunately, missed out on another one there. Then, obviously, you're talking the 2002 World Cup final, where he has been, I would say, one of the two best players in the tournament. I think the other one was their goalkeeper, Oliver Kahn. Now, obviously, Ronaldo and Rivaldo played really well, but I I think the two Germans were the two best players in the competition. But Balak is suspended for the final. And Germany just look really blunt in the final. They don't really create a whole lot going forward. They do have more shots. They do have more of the ball. But Brazil were a defensive team that year. You know, a back three with two sitting midfielders in front. Very much a compact five-man defensive unit. And then the wing-backs would get forward and support the front three. But it just wasn't to be. And Germany lose out. That was a horrendous year for Balak because he had been magnificent for club and country. Absolutely phenomenal for club and country. But for whatever reason, the footballing gods just didn't look at him favourably. And uh, he ended up empty-handed. Then you move forward and you go to the... 07-08 7 08 season. He's playing for Chelsea at this point. Chelsea are. Without doubt. The best team in the league this season. They won. The two titles under Mourinho. Then should have won a third. Had a bunch of injuries. This season starts poorly. And Mourinho gets sacked. In the September if you remember. 20th of September, they sacked Mourinho. That is six games into the league campaign. Six games. And by the way, they won three and drew one of their first four. They'd only lost one of the six. So it wasn't like they started terribly. They drew at Rosenberg in the Champions League opening game, and that was it. He was gone. It was absolute madness. But obviously stuff had been going on behind the scenes. They lose Avram Grant's first league game at home to Manchester United. Uh, A 2-0 defeat. But they played over 60 minutes with 10 men. From there, they only lose one game the rest of the way. Now they end up finishing two points behind United. But there's no argument made. They were the best team in the league that year. Those early issues and the whole circus around Mourinho and then two really disappointing late season draws one against Wigan at home one against Bolton at home if they win those games they win the title by two points they only lost three times all season their issue was they drew too many games same thing that happened to Liverpool last season Then we get Chelsea in the Champions League. They get to the final. And they lose on penalties to Manchester United. This was a fairly good game. Not spectacularly good, but fairly good. Ronaldo, who had a stinker on the night, opens the scoring with a header. Really good header. Um, I can't remember who played the cross. Was it Gary Neville? No, it wasn't Gary. No, it was Wes Brown. Wes Brown, because Gary Neville was injured for most of that season. So Wes Brown cross and a Gary Neville header. United are one up. Then Frank Lampard equalises on the stroke of half time. It's one all. It stays one all. We go through the second half. We go through extra time. We get to penalties. Tevez scores. Balak scores, Carrick scores, Belletti scores. Cristiano misses. Lampard scores. Owen Hargreaves scores. Ashley Cole scores. Nani scores. But if Chelsea finish or score score the next penalty, Chelsea win the European Cup. And for reasons known only to him, on the fifth penalty. Is John Terry. And nobody has ever been able to make a good case. For why. John Terry was on that penalty. Why wasn't Solomon Kalou. On that penalty. Terry had won the toss. Decided to go second. And I can only assume. Picked himself as the fifth penalty taker. Because he wanted all the glory for himself. Because John Terry was always about John Terry. And he slipped on his arse and missed his penalty. Anderson scores. Kalou steps up and scores. Giggs scores. And Nico Anelka misses. And for the second time, Michael Ballack falls short in a Champions League final. Through no fault of his own. Because again... He played really, really well in, the, in this game. In the Football League Cup, Chelsea get to the final. And they lose to Spurs. They lose 2-1 to Spurs after extra time at Jonathan Woodgate goal. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the last time Spurs won anything. They went out of the FA Cup in the quarterfinal, surprisingly, to Barnsley. Uh, a game again that they should have won. You know, when you look back at the quality of that Chelsea squad, it was something else. You could check and Cudicini as goalkeeping options. You had Ashley Cole, Carvalho, Wayne Bridge, who was an England international was the backup left back. Uh you had Paulo Ferreira, who was a Portuguese international and Belletti, who'd scored a winning goal in the Champions League final as the right-back options. Um, centre-backs, you had Terry and Carvalho. The the, the backups weren't great, Tal ben Haim and uh, Alex, but it wasn't bad. Midfield, you had Makaleli, you had Essien, you had Balak, and you had Lampard. What a starting midfield that is. You've got everything in that midfield. And then for depth, you've got Florent Malouda, John obi Mikel, Joe Cole, Steve Sidwell didn't play a whole lot, but he was there, and uh, Sean Wright Phillips in case they needed a winger. And then in attack, you've got Shevchenko, Drogba, Claudio Pizarro, who people forget about, was, was very good, Kalou and Anelka. Centre-back depth aside, that's an outrageous squad. You'd prefer a better right-back, but that is an outrageous squad that Chelsea had at that point. Uh, Roman's billions would just been Spent left and right, but yeah, that, that Michael Ballack is the most unfortunate player. Like, I mean, he still had a great career. He won the Bundesliga with Kais- Kaiserslautern early on in his career. Um, he was a squad player with them at the time 97 98, played 16 games. He just joined them that summer, uh, having been playing the German equivalent of non league. Wins the Bundesliga. Uh, He obviously went on from Leverkusen to Bayern, where he won three league titles, three uh, German Cups, and a German League Cup. At Chelsea, he won three FA Cups, a league title, a league Cup. And with Germany, he was... ever. Oh, that's where we're going next, actually, is to the uh, European Championships in 2008. Now, at the end of the day, this this Spain team is the greatest international team of all time and would obviously go on after winning this tournament to win the World Cup and then the Euros again. So it's hard to say that they should have won or could have won that final. They'd had a rough go of it to get to the final, if you remember. Um, They were in a group. With Croatia, Austria, and Poland, and finished second in that group. They lost to Croatia in the second game of the group stage. And people were starting to have big questions about the Germans. Podolski was on fire in the group stage. Uh, Balak was playing well. They beat Poland. They beat Austria. They get into the knockout stage and they play Portugal first. And they beat them 3 2, and Balak gets the winner. Then in the semi finals, They beat Turkey 3-2, a team they probably should have beaten fairly comfortably. But they were winning games, but they were less than impressive. That uh, game against Turkey took a last-minute winner from Philippe Lam. So they go into that final. It's against Spain. And, you know, when you look at the German team, Jens Lehmann in goal, he was a little bit past his best. Annie Friedrich was a good right-back. Philippe Lam was still a left-back at this point. Per Mertesacker and uh, Christoph uh, Metzelder, the less said about him, the better, in defence. Torsten Frings and Thomas Hitzelsberger in midfield. Hitzelsberger was never much more than average. Frings was a good player. Um, I loved him because he was a Werder player and had great success with Werder, but he he wasn't going to carry an international midfield by himself. Balak was the 10, Schweinsteiger played right, Podolski left and Miroslav close up front. The, the front four were very, very good. Other than Lamb and Frings, you, you wouldn't really have much to do with the rest of it. Whereas you take a look at the Spanish team, Casillas, Ramos at right back where he was much better, uh, Carlos Martinez, Carlos Puyol, Joan Capdevilla, always underrated, uh, Marcos Senna, hugely underrated. Iniesta and Xavi, either side of him. You had Sesk, you had Silva and you had Fernando Torres. That's a hell of a team. Coming off the bench, they had Xavi Alonso, Santi Cazorla and Danny Guisa, who I completely forgot about. Uh, Whereas for Germany, it's Marcel Janssen. Talented player, but had his big move to Bayern and flopped. Um, was was out of form That at that point. He just had the failed season at Bayern. Moved to Hamburg and went on and had a decent career, but was never the same player again. Uh, Kevin Caragny, who was only ever average. Um, there's a reason he was sort of exiled to Russia at 28. And then Mario Gomez, who was excellent, uh, to be fair to him but at that point was still somewhat of an unknown. uh, 22, maybe 23 years of age. What date was the final? He was 22 at the time. So still a young young striker that people weren't really aware of or or hadn't proven anything. So I think league-wise, he was more unfortunate with Chelsea because that Chelsea team should have won the league. Leverkusen... Again, should have won the league, but at the start of the season, I don't think many would have picked them over Bayern and over Dortmund. That was the Dortmund team that was really, really strong. Like, Zammer had put together a really strong Borussia Dortmund team. And unfortunately, it had been put together at a cost that nearly bankrupted the club a couple of years later. Um, like, you had Jens Lehmann in goal. Uh, Christian Vorns, if people remember, was really good. Evan Eelsen was an outstanding right wing-back. Uh, Jürgen Kohler was still there. George Heinrich was there. Stefan Reuter was still there. These are players, especially Reuter was quite old at this point, earning big money. Jan Koller, Thomas Riziki, uh Hiko Herlich was there. Everton was there. Giuseppe Reina. Solid player. Sunday Elise, really good midfielder. Dave, left wing-back. Really good player. Lars Ricken. Metz Helder, Sebastian Kiel, young Sebastian Kiel, and Marcio Amoroso, who was one of my favourite players at the time, was just an absolute weapon in front of goal. Um, that Dortmund team was put together very expensively. They and Bayern would have got into that season as favourites. So I think, club-wise, more unfortunate in 08, international-wise, more unfortunate in 02, because obviously he missed the final. So, He would have made a huge difference, and I think Germany were the best team of that world cup. Um, right, so that's that question. That's a long answer, I know, but you know, what other players who have already who already have the world class or legendary status attached to the name but could have had a more incredible career had things worked out a little differently for them? If we're talking about players now, see, I'm very stingy when it comes to throwing out the phrase world-class because for me there can never be more than maybe 22 world-class players and I don't know that there's one world-class player in certain positions, let alone two like left-back I don't think there's a world-class left-back now you can make the argument that, well, if they're the best in the position, then they must be world-class. So you could say, you know, João Canseo and Andy Robertson are probably the two best left-backs in the world right now. Uh, Alfonso Davies will get there, Nuno Mendes will get there. I think those guys can be what I would categorise as world-class. I think Canseo is still too inconsistent to be world-class. I just think Robertson, from a technical level, is slightly below world-class. Because I graded across the board I don't just grade it position by position. You know, I would only ever pick two, maybe at a push three for one position, but they have to be as good as the two or three I'm picking for another position for me to consider them world-class. So, if we look around, if Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, who I think for a couple of years was world-class, if he'd left Barcelona... In 2019, when there was a lot of talk that Manchester United wanted him. Now, United obviously become a train wreck, but I think he he would be better off now. Um, I mean, anyone who plays for PSG, I I struggle to call them world-class. I know they have the talent, but you're not doing it against the competition. There's no question Mbappe is world-class. But... He's not doing it against the top competition, so I'm not impressed by what he's doing. Never been impressed by what Neymar has done there. You know, people talk about Thiago Silva, the guy he spent eight years of his career, his, his entire prime, hiding in a secondary league. So you're not getting on my short list of anything. Um, and Bappy, at least we know at some point will likely leave. The rest of them are re- semi-retired there. Frankie de Jong is seen as world class. So I'll go with what, you know, people that are seen as world class. Frankie de Jong is seen as world class. If he hadn't joined Barcelona, if he'd gone to Man City when he was leaving Ajax, he would be much better off. Matthias Delict, if he had joined. If he had joined Real Madrid or Chelsea when he was linked there, when he was leaving Ajax, he would be better off. Without doubt, the two of those, I think those are two really prominent ones that I sort of always look at and think that you, you made the wrong move. You you Both of them had injury issues, but both of their uh, development stagnated Juventus started to go alarmingly backway backwards after signing Cristiano. And unfortunately DeLict arrived and it was it's all a been a bit messy. Like Juventus should right now have a, a two-man centre-back pairing of Christian Romero and Matthias De Ligt with a third option of Mary Demirel as a backup. And that should be their centre back three-man unit for ten years. And then you add young players in to supplement that and develop. And then if Demerel eventually gets annoyed because he's not starting enough, you move him on. But you keep Romero and you keep De Ligt. That's That's the building block for your team. And they're all gone now. And they've still got Benucci. And they've bought Bremer this summer. He's good, but he's not great. Um, I would say Thiago Silva, called legendary. Not for me. Again, eight years hiding in the in the French League. Now, I, I'm a bit hypocritical here because I think Marquinhos is one of the three or four best centre-backs in the world. But again, he has spent so long in France that I just don't know what to make of him. Um, Verratti's another one. Like, again, tremendous player. There's no doubt Silva was a tremendous player in his prime. Marquinhos is outstanding. Verratti is sensational. But I mean, if he'd be, been with Juve the last eight years, wouldn't he be seen in far more favorable light? I have to believe that he would. Di Maria, the same, wasted the last years of his prime. And like, yeah, basically, most of the players that we consider as great players that were at PSG the last few years, I, I would say them. I think their careers could have been even more incredible had they gone and played in competitive leagues for the top clubs. Uh, I understand that Silva went there because AC Milan had to sell him, but still. Like Cavani's another one. I love Cavani. Absolutely adore him. And when he was going from Palermo to Napoli, there was nobody I wanted more. Nobody I wanted more. Because you could have paired him with Suarez at Liverpool. And they were both young, 23, 24. Together, they would have run roughshod over the Premier League. Instead, Cavani was loaned to Napoli with an option to buy for 17 million euro. Liverpool spent £35 million on Andy Carroll, who couldn't play football. And back then, there was a much bigger gulf between the exchange rate. So Cavani is one. I mean, Cavani went to PSG at 26. And he was there seven years. And it's just such a waste of an incredible player. Cavani might be the one that annoys me the most because it, it's it's purely down to me wanting Liverpool to sign him in, in 2010. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just, it's very, very frustrating. And then, I mean, by the time he was going to PSG, Liverpool just couldn't afford to pay that type of money. Um, who else? Oscar. Now, I don't know if he was ever considered world-class, but I think he was a really, really good player who wasted his career by going to China. And I understand he did it for the financial benefits, but still. Um, Ezekiel levetsi he was another one. He was tremendous back when he was at Napoli. Him and Cavani with Hamzik behind them, great to watch. And he ended up at PSG as well, obviously. And then he went to China for a couple of years, but he went to China at 31. What age was Oscar when he went? He was like 26. Was he even 26? He's 30 now. He was 26, he was 26 years of age. And he packed up and went to China. Now I think he's without a club. I think he's left China. I think he's going, he's gone back home, isn't he? He's gone back to Brazil. Um, but yeah I mean he's another one but he wasn't world class but I think he could have been I think he could have been he had so much talent on the ball and if you remember he came to England as an attacking midfielder and Chelsea basically converted him into more of a deep lying player and it took him a while to adapt but when he did he was he was really, really good um, right I think that's about as far as I'll get with that one what else do we have here uh, I've got a couple more that came in on Twitter Uh, Right. Three questions. If you were a football journalist, what type of football journalist would you be and which journalist past or present would you try to emulate? Uh, Past Brian Glanville and Paddy Agnew. Those two for me, when I was growing up, were absolute heroes, and I was very fortunate to meet both and get to edit pieces for both at one point. Um, but yeah, I mean, both of them were just great, great journalists. Glanville could write about anything, and it was um sensational. Was it, was it Paddy Agnew? Was Paddy Agnew. Yeah, yeah, Paddy Agnew. You'll find him on Twitter, at Paddy Agnew. Um, doesn't tweet all that often, but when he does, it's definitely going to be worthwhile. He's He was great. I don't know if he's... I actually don't know what he's been doing since. Rome-based Vatican news and football reporter, Italy correspondent. Mad. He was... When he used to write for World Soccer... I used to read his stuff over and over again. Same with Glanville. Brian Gl- the like the guys like those storytellers. Like, and I look at current journalists, Daniel Taylor is the best of the best. Paul Hayward's very good. I think Ollie Kay can be good. I think he gets bogged down in his Englishness sometimes. Um do you know who's not good? I, I have to say this now. Do you know who's not good? Is Michael Cox. And if he somehow hears this, I don't care. This is the same fella who told us that Zidane was overrated and he was only a moments player. Like, stick it up your backside. You are absolutely full of crap. Yesterday in The Athletic, he publishes a piece stating that the Bundesliga is a farce, basically, and any league where a team wins at 10 years in a row is, is crap and Bayern should start every game 1-0 down. And then when challenged on it, he says he doesn't watch the Bundesliga. He doesn't waste his time. You're an absolute mug. A mug. Garbage journalism. Garbage journalism. So I wouldn't be like him. I wouldn't be like him. I'd much rather be like Agnew or Gla- or Glanville or I'd like to be like Daniel Taylor. Storytellers. You know, in-depth pieces. For those of you who are NBA fans, I, I would like to be like Zach Lowe. I'd like to be like the Zach Lowe of football, if that's what I did for a living. I I, I wouldn't want to be an Ornstein. I, I just, I wouldn't like, I, I it could be fun, but no, it wouldn't be for me. Uh, certainly, you could go the spoofer route and be like Romano. It doesn't take much, just hire a couple of lowly paid egots and get them to troll the internet for any kind of rumours. And once they find something semi-reported from two any-level sources or any-level outlets, just claim it as your own. Make a short list of outlets that you rank as reliable and a short list of journalists you rank as reliable. Make sure to credit them every time. And then make a list of Up and coming journalists, younger journalists and smaller journalists, smaller outlets and local outlets who get things right a lot and then steal their work and don't give them any credit for them. And then you're Romano. Get a crappy catchphrase and never button your shirt properly and you're away to the races. Uh, So, yeah, Brian Glanville is is the answer there. Um, And Michael Cox, you can absolutely do one. Uh, who are your five favorite football referees of all time, and why? Oh wow! Um, Kalina is one without any doubt. Cali Pierre Luigi Kalina was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, I quite liked um. Oh, what's his name? The German. Felix. He retired there recently as well. Felix Bright Birch, something like that. He was good. Uh, didn't take any nonsense. I liked Uriah Rennie. I don't know why, but I always liked Uriah Rennie. I always felt like he refereed the game fairly. You know, he didn't try and make the game about him. Uh, Marcus Merck would be another one. Another you know, German. German's just very efficient. Um, Yeah, Marcus Merck was good. And then as a fifth... That's a good question. What was the fella's name? Oh, hang on. Mike Dean, absolutely not. Absolutely awful. What's the other first name? Mark Halsey. He was crap as well. Um, Anders Frisk. Yeah, give me a bit of Anders Frisk. He was decent. He was decent. But how he was treated was an absolute disgrace. Uh, but Anders Frisk was a very good referee. A very, very good referee. So I'll have a bit of him. Kalina is the is the don though. He's the best referee we've ever seen, and we might not get another one as good as him. So yeah, I'll go. I'll go with him. Um, right, third question: Who would be on your Mount Rushmore of athletes, and why? That's a very good question. Um, I know a lot of people put Tiger Woods But I'm not putting Tiger Woods Because number one He's not the most successful golfer of all time and Number two I'm not having golfers I'm not having golfers at all Um, I would say Maradona Best footballer ever Michael Jordan, the best basketball player ever. It's between Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt as, I think, the greatest Olympian ever. Now, I know people might name other ones. Uh, Those are the two I'd look at. Phelps, I mean, the amount of gold medals the guy won. And then for Bolt... He he was just untouchable. I mean, the guy ran faster than anyone had ever run. Now the problem is someone will eventually run faster than Usain Bolt. I don't know that anyone will outdo what Phelps did, though. So I'm gonna say Phelps. And for my third my, my fourth and final one, I think Serena Williams. Because I think she's the greatest female athlete ever. Across the board. And in in men's tennis, I don't know that you can separate Federer, Nadal and Djokovic. And I also think when you're doing the tennis conversation, you have to include Bjorn Borg. And I think you have to include Pete Sampras. They played in different eras. It wasn't the same as when these three played. So I don't know that there's one male tennis player that stands out. But Serena, for me, stands out a mile. And I would say Serena is the fourth person on my Mount Rushmore. So I'm going Maradona, Jordan, Phelps, and Serena Williams. And I feel quite good about that For Maradona and Jordan, to me, it's inarguable that they're on it. Some people would say Tom Brady. He's he's a great quarterback. But the stop-start nature of American football uh, means I'm ruining anybody. And if I'm putting in an American football player, I'm probably going someone like Lawrence Taylor or Reggie White rather than Brady. No golfer. If you were going with a rugby player, you'd probably go Daniel Carter. Yeah, probably Daniel Carter, but I just I don't think you can make a real argument to move any of the four out for him. Um again, baseball, the stop start nature of the game. If I was picking one from baseball from my point of view, it would be Ken Griffey Jr. I know Barry Bonds has the records and all the rest. He also has all the steroids. Um Ice hockey. Gretzky. I mean, Gretzky Wayne Gretzky's absolutely mm-hmm. worthy of consideration here. And he's probably him and Usain Bolt are probably my two honorable mentions. Him and Usain Bolt are probably the two honorable mentions for me here. You could add some cricketers like Sachin Tendulkar, Brian Lara, but again, it's the stop-start nature of the game that just makes me want to rule them out. Um, Yeah, I think I'm going to go with those four. And then Bolt and Gretzky as my honourable mentions. So there we go. Uh, right, let's move on. Barton t- underscore 22. Refs back in the day were part-time and we were given their occupation, i.e. David Ellery was a school headmaster. What jobs would you give these chokers based on their performances, traits, and general personalities? So the first, so he's named me five. So Paul Tierney is the first one. Now, Paul Tierney is a Particularly weak-chinned-looking individual. Um, What would be a good job for Paul Tierney? Let's have a look at him now. I'll be honest, he looks a bit like a priest. But I'm not going to insult the Catholic Church on this podcast. So, I am going to say that Paul Tierney would be... He looks like a cop. He does. He looks like a cop. He looks like that fella that went to university, got a degree in criminology, and joined the police. And he's a bobby on the beat, and he's just a pain in everybody's backside. That's what I think Paul Tierney is. Uh, Andre Mariner. Now he's a particularly arrogant individual, uh, and I I speak as an as an arrogant individual. You know, knowing what I'm talking about. Uh, he's four, 51, by the way. He's too old to be refereeing in the Premier League. Um, Mariner Mariner would be a school teacher. Mariner would be a school teacher, and he'd be he'd be like a. I'm trying to think of what he would teach. Stephanie, secondary school. He's not a primary school teacher. He's too strict for that. He wouldn't have the the personality to deal with younger kids. Um. No, I. Do you know what? I don't even think he. Yeah, no, he would. He'd be. He'd be a senior cycle secondary school teacher, uh, a level teacher, for those of you in the UK, high school for those of you in. Uh, the US kind of junior and senior year Um, I would say he teaches a couple of subjects I, I would say he teaches a bit of history but his main focus is geography and he finds that geography is very important, it's to hammer home the point that it is the fourth science even though most universities won't recognize it as a science Science. It's the fourth science. And uh I think that's probably what he does it himself. Um <clears throat> Paul Taylor. Is it it is Paul Taylor, isn't it? Yeah. Let's see. No, it's what's oh hang on, it's not Paul Taylor. Anthony Taylor, Anthony Taylor. Well, with that baldy head and that, that face, he's a data analyst for, like, British Gas. He's an exceptionally boring individual. And when he has to give a presentation, people dread it for days. He arrives in with multiple flip charts, an array of multicolored markers, and one of them pointing devices. Uh, Craig Paulson. Quite like Craig Paulson. He's not overly offensive to me. Craig Paulson is a personal trainer. He's in the gym. He's there all the time. You can ask him questions. He'll always help you out. He's not big on bodybuilding. But he'll get you to peak physical fitness. That's Craig Paulson for you. He's one of the guys. And then there is the man himself. Michael Oliver. And the thing is. We already know what Michael Oliver has as a second job. Because he's been on TV. For years and years and years. Michael Oliver. Made his TV debut. In 1988. Had an 11 year run on BBC 2. And he's been repeating on Dave. Since 2009. There's been some revivals. There's been some comebacks. Michael Oliver. Is rimmer. From Red Dwarf. That's who he is. That's what he does in his spare time. So there you go. Hope that one <laughs> hope that answers that one. Um, this one came in by email from uh, Shayam Raman. So thank you for this. Uh, I was curious about your idea. Oh, sorry, about your thoughts on the idea of Trent filling in in midfield. So my immediate thought is no, absolutely not. He's the best right back in the world, and we don't know what he's gonna be in midfield. And if you move him there, now you've got to find another right back. Well, I Gag sent this on to me. So this got sent in to on email. I, I missed it. Gag saw it, Gag sent it on to me. And I've been thinking about it since. And there is a part of me that would like to see it. Now, not in the 4 3 throw. The way I would like to see it is in more of a 4-4-2. A Simeone-esque 4-4-2 where the right-sided midfielder plays narrow and tucked in next to the two central midfielders. You play two up top and your left winger plays high and wide because that's the perfect use for Luis Diaz. Salah and Darwin as a front two absolutely works. And Jota can be the rotation option for both of those and for Diaz. So all of this works lovely. Fabinho and Thiago as my double pivot. This works very nice. My left back can become a little bit more restrained and a little less uh, Gallivanti and Andy Robertson centre-backs hold it down, Virgil, and Ebu, Virgil, and Joel, whichever. But in this scenario, what you want, or what I want, is a right-back with loads of pace who bombs forward. I want Ashraf Hakimi. So if Liverpool did move Trent to that spot on the right of midfield, even if it's in the 4-3-3, because we know it'll skew in-game and it'll go to more of a 4-4-2, because that's how Diaz plays and that's how Salah plays. I want a dynamite right-back who just bombs forward and offers real quality when he gets forward. And there's not many of them Now you could, look, you could play Joe Gomez there and defensively he'll be very good and he's comfortable on the ball and he will get forward and he'll, you know, supply some crosses and whatever. And that would be more Simeone-esque to have Gomez at right back. And I look, I'd be fine with that, but ideally I'd want that more dynamic right back. And while Calvin Ramsey's very promising, he's also 18 and I don't think he's that kind of right back. But you bring me Ashraf Hakimi, and I'll I'll move Trent into midfield for you. Why not? Why not? I think that I think it could be very fun. Um. Anyway, Alex Sapopo, in your brand new 2022 DeLorean, Belfast's finest, you have the ability to change the history of football. What are three transfers? that you would travel back in time to prevent from happening and what are three that almost happened that you would push over the line? As a bonus, feel free to describe the butterfly effects of these transfers. For example, if Zidane went to Juve in 96, never went to Juve in 96, instead went to Blackburn as he was rumoured at the time, would he have taken the step forward to lead France to the 98 World Cup? Would he ever become a Galactico? If not, would he ever become a manager? Would Real have won those three Champions Leagues without him? Would the Messi versus Ronaldo debate be less annoying without those three titles? And would Blackburn have fallen into financial ruin with Zidane? Right, so let's let's work backwards on that. Um, would Blackburn have fallen into financial ruin? No, because I think Zidane was destined for greatness regardless of where he went. And I think at Blackburn, I think he would have suited the Premier League perfectly. And he would have gotten a big move and they would have gotten a huge fee for him. So I think that would have saved Blackburn's backsides. Uh, Would the Ronaldo versus Messi debate be less annoying? Yes, it would. It would be much less annoying because there'd be no case for Ronaldo at that point. There's no case anyway. Like, the only things he's better than Lionel Messi at are jumping and running in a straight line. Neither of which are actually footballing attributes. They're physical attributes. Things he was born with. The only footballing thing he can do better than Messi is head the ball. And again, that goes back to the fact that he can jump higher because he's four inches or five inches taller. But at every single footballing aspect, Messi is better. He's a better finisher. He's a better passer. He's a better dribbler. He's more versatile. He's more intelligent. He's better off the ball. Like... He could go on and on. is just a much better player. Much better player. Uh, If Zidane hadn't become a Galactico, would he have become Real Madrid manager? No. But I think he would have become a Galactico either way. Because I think if he'd gone to Blackburn, he's there two to three years max, and then he's off. But he's probably off to Manchester United or Arsenal at that point. Um. So yes, I do think he steps forward to lead them to the World Cup. So, while I think Zidane's <clears throat> career path would have been slightly different, I still think he becomes the same great player. But he probably wins a lot more, because if he joins Arsenal, and it's him, and Vieira, and Perez, and Henry, and Bergkamp, I, I think that's fairly... Like think of it this way: that Arsenal team with Gilberto Silva and Vieira, Lumberg on the right, Perez on the left, Henri with Burkham just off him is sensational. The Real Madrid team that he played in, he largely played off the left. Figo played off the right in quite a similar box midfield. Now, prior to joining Arsenal, Robert Perez played primarily off the right. So Perez on the right, Zidane tucked in on the left, Ashley Cole bombing forward in the same way Roberto Carlos bombed forward. Vieira and Gilberto Silva give him a much better platform than anything he had at Real Madrid with, you know, like Guti and McAlaley or McManaman and McAlaley. Now, when it was Redondo, that's different. He's special. But. Um, no, I, I think he. I think he has the same. I think he has the same career, maybe better, club wise, international wise. It would have been the same. Would he have one World Player of the Year playing in England? That's a question. But I think yeah, I think he goes to Blackburn, and then I think he goes to play play for Wenger, <clears throat> and I think that Arsenal team are probably even better. Uh what three that almost happened? Would you push over the line? So I'm going to be selfish here and I'm going to pick Liverpool ones. That almost happened. Michael Loudrup agrees a contract with Liverpool. Then Liverpool decide to try and renegotiate the deal to add an extra year to the contract. Loudrup, as he was prone to do, gets the hump and ends up signing for Lazio. I would have pushed through that deal to get him to Liverpool. Michael Loudrup is, as I've said before, my favourite player of all time. And I would have done anything to have had him in a Liverpool jersey. Um, He's another one whose career, I think, works out better. Because if he joins Liverpool, he's got less issues with the uh, the 3 foreigner rule. That was in place at the time in Syria, and um and you know he probably ends up at Barcelona anyway, but I think he spends five six years at Liverpool, then goes to Barca, then goes to Real. Um, Karim Benzema to Liverpool. Uh, he was so when Liverpool signed Carroll. Benzema was the target, because they knew Torres was leaving. Torres had asked months before, could he go? So Liverpool have been working on deals to get him gone. So the plan was Suarez and Benzema. We're going to get those two, and that's going to be it. At this point, Benzema is not long at Real, but he's second choice behind Higuain. Liverpool think they have a deal in place. They go and get Suarez... They go back to do the Benzema deal. Higuain hurts his back. And Real say, we can't sell him if this guy's hurt. And Liverpool miss out and end up going and wasting all their money on Andy Carroll. But Benzema and Suarez together would have been... They would have terrorised the Premier League. Terrorised them. And my third one... i tend to say too many from this summer. Do you know, my third one is actually, is the one that could have had the biggest, most seismic knock-on effect in world football, and that's Maradona to Sheffield United. Because if he goes there and settles into European football, He might never find his way to Barcelona. And he might never lose a couple of years of his career getting kicked up and down Spanish pitches. And if he doesn't do that, is he hardened enough by the time he goes to the 86 World Cup to put up with what he put up with and still lead Argentina to the World Cup? Because remember, in 82, he reacted to some of the kicking and got himself sent off and it ruined his World Cup. And if Maradona doesn't go for any of that, does he go to Napoli? Does he do what he does there? Now, on the flip side, maybe he signs for Liverpool or signs for Brian Clough at Nottingham Forest or signs for European Cup winning Aston Villa. And maybe he has a different career. Maybe he stays on the straight and narrow. Maybe he doesn't wander into houses houses of disrepute in Naples. Uh, maybe he doesn't become best friends with all the mafia dudes in Naples. But maybe, yeah. I, I I'd still like to see it. I'd still like to see it. Um, and he would have played in England that way. And that would have been great. Um, what three transfers would I prevent from happening? Andy Carroll, always, always Andy Carroll. Um, let me think. Roy Keane to Man United. I would prevent that one from happening. I think if that doesn't happen, I don't think they have the, the the run of success that they do. I really don't. Saw a clip yesterday of Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher doing that agree, disagree, strongly agree, strongly disagree thing. And the question is, is Roy Keane the greatest captain in Premier League history? And Carragher strongly agrees and Keane disagrees, and that's why Roy Keane is the best captain in Premier League history, because if that was John Terry, he would have strongly agreed, because it was all about him Roy Keane made the whole thing about the team and he says as much, he says it's not about one player, it's not about the captain, it's about the team and that's why Roy Keane is the best captain the Premier League has ever seen, and he went on, and he named others, including Tony Adams, um, who were great, he didn't name Patrick Vieira though, which was quite fun. Um, but he does have respect for Vieira without question. Um, and my third one then, um Juan Sebastian Veron to Man United. It went badly and it kind of skewed what people thought of Verón I loved Veron, absolutely loved him when he was in Syria, loved him for Parma and Sampdoria and for uh, Lazio. Uh, That Lazio team remains one of my favourite teams of all time. That midfield, Stankovic, Simeone, Varon and Nedved. That's one of the best midfields has ever been put together. Um, So yeah, it was Varon to United just because it went badly. And it skewed how people viewed him. Um, Second question from Alex who is on his honeymoon in the bahamas well for some and congratulations um i was wondering why the caribbean and central or the caribbean is it the caribbean or the caribbean it, i think it's just kind of where you're from really isn't it how you say it um have struggled to produce elite talent in addition i was wondering if you could put together an all-time 11 from these areas combined oof um why I think there's two main reasons from a sporting perspective. One is baseball because a lot of uh players from Central America and parts of the Caribbean are drawn to baseball. Um we see a lot of players coming out of of that region. <clears throat> there's also a lot of boxers come out of that region but region but I, I don't think that has a big effect. And the second is athletics. We get a, we do get a lot of sprinters in that from especially the Caribbean countries, Jamaica and places like that and Bahamas, Barbados, places like that. Um so I do think those two sports take away a lot of the elite athletes. Um finances is obviously a, a big reason as well. I mean <clears throat> if you're a baseball player, you can play anywhere that's an open area. It doesn't really matter if the ground is nice and lush grass. It doesn't matter if it's hardened muck or if it's concrete or whatever. You can play baseball. You can also run. Football is different, though. And I I just, I think the financial state of the region and the fact that those two other sports are so wildly popular that um that they probably do take away huge amounts of the potential talent pool um as for a best 11 geez i will struggle with this um let's see Let me just get the countries in the region and then I might have a better idea. <clears throat> so it doesn't count Mexico because Mexico's part of North America. So it's everything sort of below that. So what have we got? Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua and Panama. And I can include some... Uh, Caribbean Islands. Hmm. Okay. Kaelor Navas is the obvious choice in goal, so we'll go with him. For starters. Um what was the what was the left back that played for Celtic? Uh is it is it here? Yeah, him. Emilio Eziger. Him. He will do as my left back. I really liked him. Um I'm going to struggle with this. Roger Espinosa, left wing, formerly of Wigan. We'll go with him. Wilson Palacios, definitely in centre midfield. Uh, What was the other fellow's name? Maynard Figueroa. Where's he from? He's from that same sort of part of the world. Honduras as well. So we're going to slap him in. He's going to play centre back in this team. He'll be undersized, but he'll be fine. Um, so I've got I've got the left side done. Paolo Wanchop will be one of my strikers. Um I'm using Caribbean players as well. I can use Jamaican. You've had some good players. Leon Bailey's going to have to be in, obviously. Uh So we'll have him. Dwight York. Dwight York is a great shout. So there's our front three then. Uh, Bailey right wing. York and Wanchop up front. Um Espinosa left wing. Palacios in centre midfield. I need one more in midfield. One more in centre back. And a right back. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Who else do we have? That... I'm tempted to play... Uh... Brian Ruiz. I, I, I always had a soft spot for him. I could play him in centre midfield. Let me see. Do you know what he hasn't? I think he's got one cap so far, but I genuinely think this kid is going to be really. Join Chelsea this summer, though, and he might not. I think Omari Hutchinson is super talented, but he hasn't done much yet, so um, we 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 leave him. We leave him out. Um, Right back. I mean, what was that? What was that guy's? I can't think of the guy's name. Um, Robbie Earl, we could stick Robbie Earl in uh, in central midfield. He was a pretty good player, played in the Premier League for a long time. So I'm inclined to pick him. Pascal Chimbomba, that's Chimbonda. That's who I'm going for. Pascal Chimbonda. He's going to play right back for me from Guadeloupe. He was a decent player. We'll go with him. So, what else do I need? A centre back? Is that Michael all? Michael Antonio, name? right back where he belongs. With his height, I might need him at centre back. Might need him in there. Ethan Pinnock's Jamaican. Ethan Pinnock is Jamaican. So is uh, Frank Sinclair. Well, he's played for them. Uh, Russell Latapi, I don't know if anyone remembers him. He was very talented, um, but never quite became what he was meant to become. Shaka Hishlop doesn't make the grade. Dion Burton, no thank you. Um... Yeah, do you know what? We'll go Ethan Pinnock. We'll have to go Ethan Pinnock because uh, my mind has gone blank and I can't think of anybody else. So there you go. That's what we've got. That is our 11. Uh, We're going to take a quick 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 break and when we come back we're going to rattle through the gossip and be done see you in a sec right welcome back as we have been talking Nottingham Forest have reached an agreement with Wolves to sign Morgan Gibbs-White, deal worth 44.5 million, including add-ons, and the 22-year-old England midfielder, English midfielder, is scheduled to undergo a medical this afternoon. I love this signing for Forest. I think he is absolutely outstanding. I really wish Wolves had kept him. I really wanted to see him, Neves, and Nunes play together. My assumption is they wanted, they got an offer they couldn't refuse for Gibbs White. And that's why they moved on Nunes and got that deal done as quickly as they did. This is a great get for for Forrest. He is outstanding. And if they play him behind Brennan Johnson and Teo Iwaniye. Instead of Jesse Lingard, I think they've just gotten better. That's a great signing. That's a massive price. There'll be a lot of pressure on him. But nobody can suggest that Forrest haven't been incredibly ambitious this year. That's a tremendous signing. Gibbs White has played for Steve Cooper before. He knows him really, really well. I don't think he'll be at Forrest long. I think this is two years and he's off to, the, to a top, top club. Uh, congrats to Forresto. That is a hell of a signing. Wow. Um, right. Nice want to sign Marcelo, Brazilian legend, who's a free agent now, on a free. Uh, Casemiro to Manchester United is advancing. And I am laughing. Barcelona and Manchester United are targeting Malo Gusto. The young Leal right back, a uh, very talented player. Um, Manchester United want Casemiro to play against Liverpool on Monday. He's not going to be ready to play against Liverpool on Monday. Uh, I can't get over that deal. It's thirty-five million plus add-ons for Gibbs White. Add-ons of nine point five million. Wow. Atletico Madrid are exploring the option of shipping out Antoine Griezmann. Uh, I, I don't for one second believe anything that comes from the, the source of this one. Uh, Tango Endembele is in Italy to have his medical. Manchester United strategy involves convincing Casemiro to ask for a move. So the fee is lowered. But this is just nonsense. Uh, Bruno Gomerich would become Real Madrid's number one option to replace Casemiro should he leave the club. They just signed too many. What? Don't be silly. Don't be silly. Um, my guess is Casemiro ends up staying at Real Madrid. Dortmund is seen as Cristiano Ronaldo's last hope. Dortmund aren't going to sign him, they're not going to sign him. Don't be so silly. Ben Jacobs, I mean, a a spoofer if ever there was one. What else do we have? Reports that Casemiro stands to double his salary at Manchester United wide of the mark, according to Ornstein, but their main focus is signing Casemiro. United are just a shambles, a shambles of a club. Uh, Zanka is back at Brentford. He has signed a new one-year contract. They did need another depth centre-back They get him back. It's not ideal, but it helps. It helps. They still need to get in a backup left-back and a forward player, a striker, an understudy for Tony. Uh, Real Madrid will not stand in Casemiro's way, which means they're happy to let him go, which means they think he's washed. Uh, Man City do not want to sell Bernardo Silva. I wouldn't want to sell him either. Giovanni Simeone has finally completed his... Move to Napoli, a uh, season-long loan with an option to buy. City have rejected a bid for Bernardo Silva from PSG. Uh, Fulham have reached an agreement to sign Justin Clivert. Well, he's been underwhelming at each stop since leaving Ix. So hopefully he can rediscover his best form because he's clearly very talented. Crystal Palace and Manchester United are in talks over a deal for Aaron Wan bissaka A fee of 10 million has been mentioned, but a loan is also on the table. Chelsea is scheduled to meet Aubameyang's representatives. Um this is great. Uh, United offered 8 million a year for Rabio. Rabio wanted 10 million a year and a 10 million agent fee. His mother's his agent, his mother's the one that did the negotiation. Um fantastic, she cost her son his move Uh, right, let's just do the last bit of gossip and then we'll be done for today, Manchester United are interested in signing Christian Pulisic on a season long loan, don't love it, don't hate it, it is what it is Uh, Manchester United have had a £110 million bid rejected by Atletico Madrid for Joe Felix, no they have not, that is absolute tripe Uh, Ford Anthony is no longer an option for United with the Brazilian international suggesting he is happy at Ajax. Well, he would want to be. This is great, though. United have targeted Everton's Bosnian goalkeeper, Asmir Begovic, as a potential backup to De Gea. Begovic is crap. Has been for years. Everton are considering signing Ben Breerton-Diaz. That would be a good signing for Everton. He's a good player. Um... Blackburn are yet to accept or reject the 8.5 million offer that Nice made for Briard Diaz earlier this week. West Ham also have interest. It's I when they call him a Chilean, it bothers me. He's English, he just plays for Chile. He's a Chilean international, but he is English. Um no, maybe he'd tell you he's Chilean. I could be wrong. Uh Leicester City's Wesley Fafana believes the Foxes are pricing him out of the move. And rightly so. Why would they take less than they want for him? That's just silly. Nottingham Forest have agreed personal terms with Leon Casemiro, but are yet to come to an agreement on the fee. I'm guessing they're not going to now, having just signed Gibbs White. I'm guessing that deal is off the table. Manchester um, are willing to pay Casemiro three hundred and sixty thousand a week and pay Real Madrid sixty seven million. This would be a comically poor move comically poor. United are considering signing Thomas Mounier. I mean... William could make a return to the Premier League. We know he's going to Fulham. That's fine. Uh, Sporting Lisbon have expressed an interest in signing Cristiano. I don't know that Miguel Almiron would want any part of it, but look, if he's going to go somewhere, that's the most logical place for him to go. And when I went through all the clubs, I think I did say that that's probably the only place that really makes sense. Uh, Former Arsenal for pierre Obama, Aubame- Aubameyang would rather leave Barcelona for Chelsea than United. Anybody would. Uh, according to reports, which suggest the Barcelona value him at 25 million. They got him for free six months ago. 25 million. Uh, Tottenham want to sign Ruslan Malinovsky from Atalanta. Uh, why? He's all right. Like He's a decent player, but they, they don't... Do they need a central midfielder? I mean, maybe if... Matar is going to be loaned out, but otherwise it doesn't really make sense. Uh, they've got Winks, they've got Skip, they've got Heusberg and uh, Bentoncourt and Basuma. I don't see that they need another centre midfielder. Southampton and Newcastle both want to sign Goncalo Ramos of Benfica. Uh, I think Wolves should try and sign him because they need a number nine and he would be a good fit. Uh, Fulham and England midfielder. Now, what if I just Fulham an and midfielder? I don't know where I found that. Liverpool and Guinea midfielder Naby Keita could be prepared to move, make a move away. With, or Orby Leipzig interested, but it is understood Liverpool have no intention of letting him leave. What did I see? Oh, Fulham was about. I was reading two at once. Anyway, uh, West Ham have dropped their interest in Emerson of Chelsea because of his wage demands. And probably because he's not very good. If we're being honest, he's, he's not very good um anyway that's that I will see you all tomorrow take care of yourselves have a good day bye-bye Podcast Network.